Welcome to the Locked On Islanders Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian, and I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. All right, everybody, and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast. Hope everybody is hanging in there and doing okay. We've got lots to talk about today. More news from the NHL, a a press release late on Wednesday uh, describing where the league is and when they hope, at least, to be resuming play. We'll talk about that We also have a look at the salary cap situation the Islanders may be in for next season, and there are some issues with regard to that. We continue our look at the greatest games and uh, and moments in Islanders franchise history with a look back at the famous Easter epic, and we, of course, have this date in Islanders history. Uh, If you've got a topic that's on your mind, if you want to let us know what you feel is the best uh, moment in Islanders history or anything else that may be Islanders related, a question, a comment, feel free to send us an email. LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com is the email address. You could also follow us and contact us via Twitter at LockedOnIsles. And you can follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter at IceWarsNYRVSNYI. All right, let's start with the news about potentially resuming play and where the NHL is at the moment. Press release, a joint press release from the NHL and the NHLPA. And uh, right now it indicates that the NHL remains in phase one, which is self-quarantine of players and hockey staff. Death. And the press release says the precise date of transition to phase two, during which players might return to small group activities in NHL club training facilities, remains undetermined. However, provided that conditions continue to trend favorably and subject to potential competitive concerns as between disparately situated markets, we believe we may be able to move to Phase 2 at some point in the mid to later portion of May. Specific guidelines governing player and hockey staff activity would be provided at that time. In the meantime, we expect players and hockey staff to continue to adhere to the recommended guidelines put in place when the season was paused back on March 12th. So that's where we're at right now, and uh, 
the NHL and the NHLPA hoping for a mid-May resumption of practice, mid to late May. Then we may be looking at some kind of exhibition games or scrimmages, and then basically resuming the regular season sometime in July, awarding the Stanley Cup in September, and then possibly delaying the start of the regular season by a month or two, uh, the 2020-2021 season, condensing that schedule and moving on from there. Uh, Florida Panthers President Matthew Caldwell added, when we feel the players are safe and we have enough testing and we have enough ways to get back on the ice for us, it's probably going to be contained at playing at like four or five neutral sites. My guess is that we would start with either limited fans or empty arenas, so just the teams and their associated staffs. Again, all of this is subject to change. We had also uh, on Wednesday an interview with Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, uh, with the New York Times, and Fauci basically said safety for the players and for the fans trumps everything. If you can't guarantee safety, then unfortunately you're going to have to bite the bullet and say we may have to go without this sport for this season. According to Fauci, progress has been made in the development of COVID-19 tests, but not yet enough to support sports leagues. He also said, if we let our desire to prematurely get back to normal, we can only get ourselves right back in the same hole we were a few weeks ago. So, Fauci basically said, I would love to have all sports back, but as a health official and a physician and a scientist, I have to say right now, when you look at the country, we're not ready for that yet. Now, hopefully that does mean we will be ready for it by the time we get to, you know, two, three weeks, four weeks from now, and that the NHL can then take over and start to resume uh, its activities. That is something we are all hoping for. Also, Islanders related, uh, The Athletic produced a very interesting piece about where each NHL team is in relation to the salary cap next season. And the Islanders, as of right now, ranked next to last, that's 30th in the league, uh, as being approximately 3.4 million dollars over the Stanley uh, the salary cap line uh and that includes uh you know having to sign their restricted free agents and that's you know Matthew Barzal who has uh you're going to have to pay Barzal a significant amount of money there are uh, a few players obviously who are buried in the minors, Andrew Ladd, Thomas Hickey included in that number, and then you have your UFAs, Tomas Grice, Derek Brassard, Andy Green, and Matt Martin, not sure if any of those four will actually be back with the Islanders next season, but look, they have to pay Barzal, Ryan Pulak, Devon Taves, and that's going to affect the salary structure it looks like the Islanders may have to try to find a way to either buy somebody out or trade somebody away 
next season to free up necessary cap space. It is something we all have to keep an eye on. And with the offseason being possibly condensed and certainly anything but normal, it remains to be seen exactly what the Islanders are going to do. However, in Lou we trust, Lou Lamorello's in the Hall of Fame for a reason, and you get the feeling he will find a way to get the Islanders under the salary cap and get them going in time for uh, next season and to put a competitive and, and quality hockey team on the ice. Now, you, of course, uh, you also have Ilya Sorokin. Now, he's not going to cost a lot of money on his rookie deal, but you still also have to add him to the mix and pay him. And again, his contract expires today, his KHL contract, and the Islanders are free to sign him anytime starting tomorrow, although if they sign him, he is not eligible to play until next season gets underway, whenever that might be. All right, time now for this date in Islanders history. We take you back to April 30th, 1987. The New York Islanders hosting the Philadelphia Flyers in Game 6 of their Patrick Division final series at the Nassau Coliseum. Flyers come into this series leading it three games to two. Flyers winning game one, four to two at the Spectrum. Islanders winning game two in Philadelphia, two to one. But then Philadelphia wins both games at the Nassau Coliseum. Game three, four to one, and game four, six to four. The Islanders then down three games to one, had to go back and win one at the Spectrum. And they did, edging the Flyers 2-1 to one to set up Game 6 at the Nassau Coliseum. Another must-win situation for the Islanders. Islanders in goal, Kelly Rudy, while Ron Hextall, a future Islander, was in between the pipes for the Philadelphia Flyers. Islanders got underway and got on the board early with Derek Smith off for interference. Mike Bossy comes through on the power play, his second of the playoffs from Pat LaFontaine and Brian Trottier at 322, and it's one to nothing. Islanders, Islanders added to that lead later on in the period. Brian Trottier, his seventh of the playoffs from Mike Bossy and Ken Leiter at 1612, and after one period, it's two to nothing. Islanders. Flyers got back into the game in the second period. Brad McCrimmon, not exactly known for his goal-scoring prowess, but the defensive defenseman puts in his first goal of the playoffs from Mark Howe at 53 seconds, and it's a 2-1 hockey game. That's how it ended uh, as far as the second period goes anyway. So, Islanders up 2-1, to one, trying to hold on and force that 7th and deciding game. In the 3rd period, Ron Hextall takes a delay of game penalty, and the Islanders get to work on the power play. Trottier is 2nd of the game, 8th of the playoffs from Pat LaFontaine and Ken Leiter at 2.09, and it was 3-1 to one Islanders. That lasted 39 seconds, because... Gerald Diddick goes off for tripping at 2.30, and 18 seconds later, the Flyers' power play cashes in. Brian Propp gets his fourth of the playoffs. 
assists to Doug Crossman and Pelly Eklund at 248, and it's a 3-2 hockey game. Things still close, but the Islanders get a little breathing room. Bob Basson, his first of the playoffs from Tomas Janssen and Greg Gilbert at 1034, makes it 4-2 Islanders, and that's the way it stayed until the end of the game with 23 seconds left in regulation. Uh, some rough stuff breaking out. Dave Brown and Alan Kerr go at it. They each get five for fighting Brown, a two-minute instigator penalty. And then Rick Tockett of the Flyers and Bob Basson of the Islanders drop the gloves five seconds later as... Uh, you know, always always seemed to happen back in the day in the playoffs, and now the league is actually taking some steps to prevent it. When you were losing a playoff game, late in the game, last minute, two minutes, you always, the old Adam was, you were going to send the other team a message that maybe that you were tough enough, that you weren't going to be intimidated, that you were still, you know, in the series and fighting for your teammates, and so a lot of fights would break out, and you saw that here. Two fights in the last 23 seconds of the game, but the Islanders do come away with the victory. Mike Bossy, a goal and two assists in this one, while Brian Trache had two goals and one assist. Pat LaFontaine and Ken Leiter, each with two helpers. No Islander more than a plus one in this game. A lot of them were... Dennis Potvan and Brian Trottier led the Islanders with five shots on goal each. Kelly Rudy, 25 saves to earn the victory. The Islanders out shooting the uh, Flyers by a margin of 30 to 27. The Islanders win this one and force a seventh and deciding game uh, two days later at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. All of that taking place on this date in Islanders history as the Islanders again show their resiliency. They were down in the series 3-1. to one. They forced a seventh and deciding game. Final score at the Coliseum. Islanders 4, Flyers 2, April 30th, 1987. All right, we continue our look back at the greatest moments in Islanders history. Today, the Easter epic, one of my favorite moments in Islanders history. It takes place at the old Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland on April 18th, 1987. I remember I had a friend of mine who was a a big hockey fan, but not an Islanders fan, actually uh, started watching this game. It was on a Saturday night, the night before Easter Sunday. Uh, watched the first two periods, went out to a party, came back, and the game was still on, and watched the end of it. So that's the kind of uh, game it was. Not too many hockey games uh, last as long as this one, and it, as a result, became one of the all-time great hockey games in history. It remains as of right now. The longest game seven in Stanley Cup playoff history. It was the first game seven since 1968, so at that point in 19 years, to need more than one overtime. And it was the first game since 1951 to go to a fourth 
over time. Also, the road team ended up winning this game. That was the first time in Stanley Cup playoff history that a road team won a Game 7 that went to more than one overtime period. Official attendance at this game was 18,130, although as of now, there are probably about 50,000 people who actually say they were at this game. It got underway at 7.30 p.m. New York time, and uh, it, it, it did not end uh, until, well, first of all, 128 minutes and 47 seconds of hockey overall, and by the time the game ended, it was 1.58 a.m., so, uh, wow, just an unbelievably long game. To tell you how crazy this was, the Capitals outshot the Islanders in this game 75-57. to the goalies and both of them were unbelievably heroic in this contest. Bob Mason for the Washington Capitals, Kelly Rudy for the New York Islanders. And, you know, how did we get to this point? This is game seven of this series. The Islanders fell behind in the series, losing game one in Washington 4-3 came back and earned the road split by beating the Capitals in Game 2, 3-1. to one. Capitals regained home ice advantage, winning Game 3 at the Nassau Coliseum, 2-0, winning Game 4 at the Nassau Coliseum, 4-1. to one. So the Islanders are down three games to one, back, backs against the wall. They come out to Landover, Maryland, and win Game 5, 4-2, and then win Game 6 at home, 5-4 to set up this Game 7 in the Patrick Division semifinal round, also known as the opening round of the playoffs. This was a tough game, and both teams played exceptionally good hockey. If you go back and watch this game, and I, I believe it's on YouTube, I know it was part of the Islanders' 10 Greatest Game DVD box set, uh, and they do occasionally show it on uh, a number of, you know, outlets, but if you can watch this game, the quality of play is just very, very high throughout, and all the players on both teams definitely deserve uh, hats off for the performances that they put on. The Capitals did get on the board first, Hall of Famer Mike Gartner, his fourth of the playoffs assist to Greg Adams and Scott Stevens at 19-12 of the first period. So after a tough first period where things were fairly even, it was the Capitals who got on the board first and Washington in that first period outshot the Islanders 15-5. And boy, Kelly Rudy doing a great job of keeping the Islanders in the hockey game. In the second period, midway through, even though, again, the Capitals had the better of the play as far as shots were concerned, the Islanders get the next goal. Pat Flatley, his third of the playoffs from Steve Conroy and Brian Trottier at 11.35 of the second period, evens things up at one apiece. But the Capitals 
come back seven minutes, 10 seconds later. Grant Martin, his first in the playoffs, helpers to Greg Adams and Larry Murphy, time of the goal, 1845. And after 40 minutes, the Islanders head into the locker room down by a goal and desperately needing one goal to tie things up. Islanders trying very hard. In the first two periods, they were outshot 25 to 10. The third period, it was more even. Both teams managed 11 shots on goal. The Islanders finally, finally managed to solve Mason with five minutes and 23 seconds left in regulation. Brian Trottier, his fifth from Alan Kerr and Steve Conroy at 14:37. After 60 minutes of hockey in this game seven, it was still all tied at two to two, and this game was headed for overtime. Little did anybody know. Overtime wasn't going to end anytime soon. First overtime, both teams with 11 shots on goal, both goaltenders doing an excellent job. But in the second overtime, the Capitals carried play, almost out shooting the Islanders by a 2-1 to one margin. Final shots on goal in the second overtime, 17-9. to nine. That means after already playing 80 minutes of hockey, Kelly Rudy had to face almost a shot a minute in order to keep this game all even. Third overtime period, Islanders outshot the Capitals 11-10, to so it was a lot more even, and this game eventually ends up going to a fourth overtime. Play does get a little bit choppy in the fourth overtime as both teams are exhausted. Ken Leiter... Carried the puck into the capital zone. He sent a pass into the slot area. Gordonine basically pinched in, carried the puck behind the net, and then it deflected. His his pass deflects, bounced over to Pat Lafontaine, who was near the blue line, trying to cover for Lighter. He spun around. Mason was screened, did not see it, and the puck goes in off the left post and into the goal for the game winner. It was then the fifth longest game in NHL history and the longest in 44 years. One, uh, 128 minutes and 47 seconds of ice time, and the Islanders managed to win this hockey game and emerge victorious the Easter epic going down as one of the great games in NHL history. And Kelly Rudy in this game, and you got to give him a heck of a lot of credit because Kelly Rudy made to earn this victory 72 saves. And Bob Mason, 54 saves, and he played one heck of a game as well. Amazingly enough, there were, you know, penalties in double overtime, although they were matching penalties. Alan Kerr and Scott Stevens each get matching penalties at 846 coincidental minors. Steve Duchesne and Pat Flatley at 1049 coincidental minors. Greg Adams of the Capitals had a misconduct at 1649 of double overtime. And that does matter, not because they gave the Islanders a power play, but because 
uh, it made the Capitals bench once you're into double overtime and into triple overtime uh, one player shorter, and that's uh, not something anybody wants to see when all your players are exhausted. Also got to give credit to the officials in this game. I mean, to basically be out there for three periods and then three full more periods and then almost half of a fourth overtime. Andy Van Helleman was the referee, John D'Amico and Ron Finn, the linesmen. So the Easter epic, a crown jewel for the Islanders in the post-dynasty era, and it ends up ending, uh, again, almost 2 o'clock in the morning on Pat LaFontaine's game-winning goal, and Steve Conroy had two assists, Brian Trottier, a goal and an assist. They were the only Islanders with multiple point games. Conroy and Richard Crom, along with Trottier, were each a plus two. As far as shots on goal were concerned, Miko Makala led the Islanders with seven, Pat LaFontaine six, five each for Alan Kerr, Steve Conroy, Brian Trottier, and Dwayne Sutter. All right, we will come back tomorrow with the final installment of our greatest moments in Islanders history. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Islanders. Now, tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NHL for a national perspective on all things hockey. Have a great day, everybody. Stay safe. Keep that social distancing going. And let's go Islanders.